It's midnight in the woods. Darkness surrounds us. None of us are sure what exactly is out there. Luckily, you've made it here. You've made it to the campfire. Our two stories tonight explore the afterlife. Why might the dead try to get in touch with us, the living? In the second story, Tim tells us about the very haunted Willow Springs, Illinois, and the time when he and some friends went to play with a Ouija board at the location of a decades-old crime scene. And for our first story, Sarah shares about a haunted house in Fayetteville, Arkansas. So I actually grew up in a town in Arkansas called Fayetteville, which was a pretty metropolitan area as far as Arkansas goes. And the story I'm about to tell you is actually not my personal story, but it's a story that was told to me by my mom's best friend named Crystal. um, And she told me I could tell it. So they also lived in Fayetteville, but they lived on kind of the outskirts of it. And their house was set super far back kind of close to the woods. It was very secluded. It was at the end of a really, really long driveway. And it was it was very scary driving there at night. It almost felt like you were just driving through the middle of nowhere. And in the house, it was Crystal, her husband, and then their two twin daughters, Cora and Macy, and then their youngest daughter, Lily, who was probably like one or two around the time of these stories. And they always kind of had the feeling that there was something supernatural in the house. Like they would have kind of general occurrences of like laying in bed at night and hearing footsteps in the attic above them, knowing full well there were no people up there. Crystal would say that she'd feel like there was someone watching her, seeing shadows out of the corner of your eye. So they always felt like there was some kind of presence in the house. But there's a few specific stories I want to touch on. And most of them do involve her youngest daughter, Lily. And I think Crystal, like myself, believes that young people, especially babies and toddlers, are very susceptible to supernatural activity. I remember when my sister was younger, when she was probably like three or four, she used to see things in our house and would wake up screaming in the middle of the night. It was horrifying, but I think that this is why that Lily was the most susceptible to channeling that supernatural energy. So the first story I want to touch on is the whole family was basically just driving back from somewhere together and they were driving down their long driveway. And as they approach the house, Lily just looks at the shed that's sitting next to their house and she says, there's a man standing there. And she's two. So they're like, oh, Lily, like, what does the man look like? And she describes him in pretty good detail for a two-year-old. He was described as being very tall, wearing a top hat. And so she described him in such a detail that they really believed that she was seeing a man, but they could not see anyone standing next to the shed. And it was in broad daylight, so it couldn't have been a trick of the eyes. So that happened, and then 
Lily was in the stage of her toddler days where she was learning how to walk and they had a really steep set of stairs in their house leading down to the basement where the twin girls would play a lot and they always knew to keep the door closed because Lily was starting to walk around the house and Crystal did not want her to fall down that steep set of stairs for obvious reasons but one day they forgot to close the door and Crystal was in the kitchen and she saw Lily toddling over to the edge of the stairs and she froze because she didn't want to yell out even though she was terrified because she didn't want to scare Lily and send her tumbling down the stairs so she started to inch her way over to her slowly and as she did so Lily raised her hands and leaned forward slightly almost as if she was leaning against an invisible wall or some kind of invisible force. And she was held there like that until Crystal got to her and scooped her up and took her to safety. And so Crystal believes that there was some sort of spiritual energy holding her there and keeping her from falling down the stairs. And Lily also would talk to her imaginary friend a lot, which is not uncommon for young kids. They would like find her chatting with her during the day or talking to her when she was supposed to be going to sleep at night. And they would say, you know, who are you talking to, Lily? And she would say, my imaginary friend. And they would say, okay, what's her name? And she said, her name is Kella. And Crystal just found this kind of weird because Kella just isn't a very common name and that's not really a name that like a two-year-old would come up with and so she decided to do a little bit of research and she actually found out that the name Kella is traditionally a Native American girl's name and their house is actually located on the Trail of Tears which does run through parts of Fayetteville so they believe that Kella was actually the ghost of a Native American child who may have lost her life during that period of time, or it may have been a Native American burial ground that their house was on. So all of these things happened in their house. All of these things happened with Lily. They're pretty convinced that this house is haunted. And then they end up five or six years later deciding they are ready to move out of the house. Not because it's haunted, just because it's time to move on. And so they had several people put in offers on the house, but it would always fall through for some weird reason, like at the last minute, like a pipe would burst and they would decide we we're not ready to put in an offer or they would just withdraw it. And they thought it was really odd. And one day Crystal was alone in the house. So she decided to talk to the ghosts and she was just by herself and she was like, look, I know that we have lived here for a long time and that you have had some kind of bond with us. I have always felt like safe around you. Thank you for sharing our home. I believe that you saved my daughter's life, but it's time for us to move on. We need to move out of this house. And the next day, their house sold.
My town is super haunted. I live in Willow Springs, Illinois, and we don't just have one ghost story. We have dozens. We've got everything from phantom monks parading through creepy old cemeteries. We have mysterious orbs that appear in the middle of nowhere. We are home to the most famous hitchhiking ghost, Resurrection Mary. But the story that I'm going to tell you is based in something that actually is documented that that happened the story starts i'll go back just give you some background it's 1956 in chicago and there's these two sisters patricia and barbara grimes who are 15 and 12 respectively and they leave their mckinley park neighborhood and they go to brighton park to see an elvis presley movie they're big elvis fans and love me tender was playing and they went to see it and then their parents are waiting for them to get off the bus and the buses come they come and then by midnight they're not there and this is just after christmas and they're freaking out a little bit they they call the police and they let them know that their daughters are missing this turned into one of the biggest missing persons manhunt in chicago history thousands of flyers were made they kept getting tips people kept seeing these girls all over the city but they never found them. About a month later, in late January, their bodies were found on the side of the road in Willow Springs, Illinois. It was pretty mysterious. Usually you find the bodies, there's some closure, but when they found their bodies, there ended up being even more confusion because they couldn't really tell how they died, when they died, where they died. It was just a mystery, and they didn't know who to blame. So what they did is they went around, and they asked, they asked, and and nobody ever found out. And it has become the most famous cold case in Illinois, Chicago history. So now we're going to go up to the 90s. I'm a senior in high school, just hanging out with my bros. And, of course, just like every red-blooded American boy, uh, we are really into playing Ouija board. I don't know who started it. I just know that my friends started to get super serious about it, where they would try to make these elaborate ceremonies with it, like, oh, let's go play it in a cemetery. Let's go try to contact this person, that person. Well, what we found out is at the site where the Grime sisters' bodies were found, there's a house. It was a farmhouse. It was surrounded by cow pastures, and now it has since been demolished, and it is home to multi-million dollar homes that I can only assume are super haunted. But at the time, it was this small abandoned farmhouse in the middle of this field, located right across the street from where the Grime sisters' bodies were found. So my friends had the bright idea, let's go play Ouija board in this house. Because the house, not only was it close to where the bodies were found, the legend about the house was that when the police found the bodies, they decided to go around and try to see if there were any witnesses, see if people heard anything. People, you know, did you see anything, any mysterious cars? And then when they went up to this house, they rang the doorbell, nobody answered. They went in, and it looked as if the people who lived there had just simply vanished. There was food on the table clothes in the dressers and closets but nobody was there and it is assumed that the killer of the grime sisters lived in that house and fled 
as soon as they found out the bodies were discovered. So we go to this house because my friends decide they're going to contact the spirits of the Grimes sisters, and they are going to finally crack the case. 50 years later, they're going to be the ones who solve this cold case that has just been confusing and confounding investigators, private investigators, criminologists. They are going to be the ones to crack this case. So it is June. School's just ended. It's a Friday night, and we decide that this is the night we're going to go play Ouija board in this house. It's me, my buddy John, Brian, and Bob. It was just weird. No girls would want to hang out with us when we did Ouija board. I always thought that trying to contact spirits and being really, really deep into phantasms and and the paranormal, I thought that that was just like a chick magnet, but I was wrong. So we go to this house, and we park on this little road, and you've got a hop wooden fence, and we are going through this field. It's around 10 o'clock at night. It's dark. The moon is shining very brightly on us as we make our way, trying not to disturb the cows because we know that there is a bull in this field, and we just calmly walk our way to the house, and we go in through the back door. Now, this house, it was not very big. It was one floor. There was a bedroom, a kitchen, and a living room, and a bathroom as well. And the upstairs was simply a very narrow staircase. that stopped at a landing, and it opened up to a single room, no closets, just one window. Before we set up, we do a quick scan of the house just to make sure that nobody else is there, nobody's living there, nobody's trying to party there, and we are by ourselves. We set up in the living room. Now, John and I, we were the more reluctant ones to be there. We did not want to be there. We would rather be at a party. We would rather be watching TV or at the movies, but we were humoring our friends, and we didn't want to look like we were the chickens. So we go along, and they set up, and so Brian and Bob are trying to contact the spirits of the Grime Sisters. And they ask if anybody, any spirits are there. And they have the little planchet, which is the, the basically the little thing with the, with the hole that you can see the letters. And they're seeing if there's anything. There's no action at all. And then it just goes, slides over to yes. And they start asking questions. And they ask, you know, are you the spirit of one of the Grime Sisters? And it says, yes. And they start asking it questions. And they're asking questions that... If you actually were one of the sisters, you would know, and it doesn't know any of those things. So, and they have surmised that the spirit they're speaking to is of the killer of the Grime sisters. So once they have that established, if you've ever played Ouija board, you know the question that almost always gets asked. Brian asks, show yourself. And they slides over to no and they're bummed but then the planchet starts moving and it's moving very fast kind of like in circles it's just (laughs) then it stops on a j then a u an s t j o h n just john when it spells out john's name he looks frightened annoyed petrified horrified 
all of these things are going on in his head. And he starts accusing Bob and Brian of of making it spell it out. And he says, no, no, no. They're like, no, we, we, we're not doing it. And then they say, okay, show yourself. And it says, goes to no. And then it spells out upstairs. And when it spells out upstairs, my heart absolutely sinks because that room upstairs looks like a room that was just added to the house in case you needed to trap somebody no closets it did have a window but it was only connected to the rest of the house through that super narrow staircase and it was just bad vibes all around so after some hemming and hawing john finally says okay i'll go but y'all are coming with me we agree and i've been to enough haunted houses that i have some strategies so i know i don't want to be the first person going up i also don't want to be the last person i make sure that i'm i'm in the middle so john who is the biggest strongest he was a football player the rest of us were just little you know skateboard dorks he goes up and we follow closely behind and now we are just creaking up these stairs one by one and it's not that tall of a staircase but it seems to take forever because with every step it seems to get darker I'm getting more scared and I can feel my heart just wanting to burst out of my ribcage John gets to the top he gets to the landing and he turns and he looks into the room more annoyed than anything just like come on let's go over this basically like he's humoring Brian and Bob now I can't see into the room the only thing that I can see is John's face that is just lit by the moonlight that is pouring through that window he looks just kind of again annoyed but then he gets very still and his eyes squint but then they go really wide like as wide as they can go and then some he stiffens up and without a word he turns and he just starts barreling down the stairs and we are all rolling just we don't know what he saw we just are all falling down the stairs and the rule is if the biggest dude in your crew is sprinting away from whatever he saw you follow right behind them we don't know what's going on we bust out of that back door we are sprinting through this cow pasture we don't care if we wake up the cows we don't care if we wake up the bulls because whatever is in that house whatever john saw is going to be worse than anything they can do we get to the fence we hop over we get into the car bob starts takes off and we are flying and john is go 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 we're trying to ask him what did you see what did you see and he says go 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 it's not till we get miles away closer to civilization that john tells us what he saw so john got to the landing and he did say that he was more just annoyed that we were making him do this he gets to the top of the stairs and he looks into the room which he was surprised he could see a little bit more than he thought his eyes had adjusted to the darkness the moonlight and he told us he saw a shadow in the corner and we're like okay then what happened and then it stood up he told us the way john explained it it looked as if somebody had been almost curled up in a ball and stood up but they were tall enough that they had to crouch their head 
to not hit the ceiling. And then, whatever it was, started walking towards him. And that's when he turned around and ran. So now, if you've ever played Ouija board, you know that one of the major, major rules is that when you're done playing, in order to close the gap between the spirit world and the real world, you're supposed to say goodbye. Well, we didn't do that. We said goodbye in our own way by sprinting out of there, but we never officially closed the session. Now, I am still a skeptic. I've never actually seen a ghost. I don't know if I've seen anything that is unexplainable. And nothing happened to me since then. But John, who was asked for by name, and who, according to John, was a spirit was revealed to him, for the next two years after that happened, he had some really weird shit happen. He went away to school in Iowa, and he would wake up, and he would see out of the corner of his eye somebody's in the corner of his dorm room. And when he looked, it would stand up. But it would seem to, with every nap, every time he would see one, it would almost seem like it was closer and closer. And the worst thing was he went to his girlfriend's in Ohio. He was spending the night there, and in the middle of the night, he felt this heavy weight just laying on top of him. And he could hear breathing right in his face. And the breath was acrid. It, it smelled horrible. So he felt something, he smelled something, he heard something, but he could not open his eyes. He was so petrified that he just lay perfectly still and just waited for it to all be over. He says that that's the last time anything like that has ever happened to him. Now, I still have never experienced anything like that. But I know that the next time I'm forced to play Ouija board, no matter the circumstances, no matter how difficult it will be to get it done, I will make sure that one of these people makes sure to say goodbye. It's getting late, and the campfire is dying down. A big thank you to Tim and Sarah for sharing their stories with us tonight. Thanks for joining us. Please rate, review, and subscribe. It helps get the word about Campfire out to other listeners who appreciate spooky stories. And check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash devilsdaughterpodcast. The stories for this show are curated by Brad Pike, with editing and hosting by Lisa Burton, and original music by Ben Kinsinger. If you liked this podcast, check out Experience the World, a podcast intricately describing worldly experiences from a first-person perspective from the demented mind of Brad Pike. Devil's Daughter is now offering online improv workshops and classes through partnerships with local BIPOC improv teams and donations to social justice organizations. Your class tuition helps grow our community. Check out Devil's Daughter Instagram and Facebook for more information.
Devil's daughter. Devil's daughter. Devil's daughter. Devil's daughter. Devil's daughter. Hey, Devil's daughter. I remember them.